What is happening, guys? Welcome to another edition of the Monday Morning Blues. I'm your host, Christian Hansen. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to check out our website as well, www.themondaymorningblues.com. There you're going to find out the next four weeks guest on our show, information on all of them, and much, much more. So be sure to stay tuned, stay updated, subscribe, and keep the blues alive. Live and well. What's happening, guys? Welcome to another edition of the Monday Morning Blues. I'm Christian Hansen. As always, welcome. If you're new to the show, thanks for tuning in. I appreciate you more than you'll ever know. Today's a big day. It is Kingfish Day. Yeah, it's happened. Chris Stone, Kingfish Ingram, 2019 Grammy nominee, five-time BMA winner at this year's 2020 Blues Music Awards. I mean, I, I can't say anything else about him. And that's a, I mean, how do you top that? Especially on his debut album. I mean, that's something hard to follow up. I, I can't even imagine what record two is going to be. If record one brought a Grammy nominee on five BMAs, what's record two going to be? It's insane. Anyways, uh, Chris Stone was actually one of the first individuals I reached out to actually back in March when I started the show. It was him and Gary Clark Jr. Those are the first two artists that I contacted as far as booking goes. Uh, Gary was a quick no. <laughs> back in March, certainly understood, but uh, we're starting to get that one back on track as far as booking and figuring out a day. Um, and then Kingfish, you know, I didn't hear anything for a while, and then I emailed him again, and then I put another email, and finally I got through management, and boom, here we are. Um, I'm doing my intro for the show. Right now it is June 28th. Tomorrow episode releases June 29th. Um, a lot of emotion. Um, with this one, I was nervous because I didn't want to miss anything. There was a few things that I really wanted to ask. I got those questions out, but uh, I, I didn't know where the interview was going to go. But it went it went quite well, and uh, I was very pleased with it. I also spoke to Jose Ramirez on Sunday today. That episode pushes out on 4th of July, and there's a significant reason why that I chose that day. Um. You'll understand when you listen to that episode. But, uh, yeah. The funny thing is with Kingfish is, you know, I was talking to him and I brought up a point that uh, I won't, you know, I won't spoil anything. But at 15, he was playing in the White House for Michelle Obama. What were you doing at 15? I know what I was doing. I was probably failing in high school. Yeah, I wasn't playing in a White House, that's for sure. But, uh, I don't know. It's just, I was overwhelmed. To have it finally happen. I'm, I was just so excited. Anyways, I hope everyone had a great weekend. Hope everyone enjoys this interview. Don't forget to subscribe to the show. Follow us on Spotify and iHeartRadio. Visit our website, themondaymorningblues.com. Support the blues. Support Kingfish. He's got merch up now. Be sure to visit his website. Support him. Most importantly, support the blues. Well, without further ado, here is my interview 
with 2019 Grammy nominee and five-time Blues Music Award winner in 2020, the one and only Chris Stone, Kingfish Ingram. Enjoy. Well, first and foremost, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to come on. This is I've been trying to, to figure out how I could get you for a while. And then when I talked to Tom Hambridge uh, last month, I was like, maybe this will help. And now here we are. So thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. Thank you for the opportunity, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, first and foremost... Obviously, we're going to talk about the music. It's so important. But a few weeks ago, I was talking to a friend of mine, Taranzo Cannon, um, Chicago blues guy. Yeah. And it was right. It was right at the same time. All this, you know, these uh, the situation happened up in Minneapolis. And Mm -hmm. same thing, like I told him, it would be incredibly wrong of me to not bring it up and hear your thoughts about you know, what's happening. Cause I'll never know what it's like dealing with stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Everyone says, Oh yeah, I, I understand what you're going through. No one knows. Cause everyone copes with things right. differently. And one, I'll never know what, what, you know, that that's like for right. you. How has, how has this period been for you? Because this is giving us now a time to really, my eyes have been open up, man. Like I've been trying to educate myself. I've been trying. There's so much that I feel dripped out about through my education. I feel like we were taught a one, a one-sided story and I feel horrible because there's so much I didn't know about. And this situation is, is doing this to me. What are your thoughts on, on, you know, this current, this current issue? Well, um, well, first I would like to say as a 21-year-old black male from the Mississippi Delta who plays the blues, it's imperative that I, it's imperative that I say something on this subject because, uh, all of this plays into, you know, what the blues is. Right. Uh, it's, it's, for me, this time is bittersweet because with the killings, it can make everything traumatizing because with who I am and my age and, you know, where I'm from and where I live at, it could be me. It could be my cousin. Right. It could be my dad. It could be anybody. But on the bright side to see everybody come together and, 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 and talk about an issue that needs to be addressed and needs to be brought up to the forefront. Cause I think people really didn't take it seriously like a few years ago, but now people are starting to see, man, that, that, that is, that is a problem that needs to be addressed. Absolutely. And, you know, I think anybody who's a blues fan should understand that the genre was built. Exactly. On, exactly. on you know, it started with African-Americans, with guys even in the 1800s, like Blind Lemon Jefferson. It's, oh, yeah. That was the foundation. It started from that. And um, anyone who doesn't address the issue, I think, is 
Nah, they, they, I, I say I say that they should be ashamed to call themselves a blues fan, and they should just detach themselves from the genre altogether. You know, so. right? And you know that's the hard thing, though. It's so hard to to kind of educate yourself on everything because there's so much out there that we just don't know. It's just yeah, it, yeah. it's tough, yeah, very and tough. The, and, the, and the and the truth hurts for some people. Absolutely, you know, it, it, it pierces. You know, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough, certainly. Now, I don't know how to quite transition from something so deep, but uh, with with the music that's being the blues, you're 21. You just turned 21 not too long ago. You've already racked up so much success, man. Grammy nominee, five blues music awards. Did you ever imagine that being a thing this young? Man, not at all, man. I I tell people, man, um, I always thought that I would you know, I, I've always was confident that I would have at least, you know, some type of, you know, success doing right. it. But I didn't think that it was going to be a Grammy nom, a five, a five, uh, a five blues music awards. And I just didn't think that it was going to come early because, um, you know, I, 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 I paid dues when I was young, but I feel like with me still being young in the game with a whole lot of OGs like Toronto and Mike Will and, you know, and the, you know, uh, and the list goes on and on. I feel like I'm still paying, I'm still paying dues. So I'm, I'm grateful, but at the same time, you know, I, I, I still try to push it aside because I feel like I'm still working, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, when did you become so engrossed with the guitar? I mean, you're still very young. At what age was it for you that you decided to pick it up? Well, um, I had an interest, I would say probably around age uh, three with my mom. You know, she was taking me to church and taking me around um, around her side of the family. Like all my uncles and aunts and cousins, all of them play guitar, bass in the church, preach, sing. And uh, I kind of got into the blues like around, I say, age uh, I would say five or six years. I um I lived right next to a blues band, so all of that just uh, all of that just from listening to music and watching TV and and my dad showing me like a um like a like a Muddy Waters documentary. It I would I would say I would say my love came from more the more the genres of music more than the guitar. But with the guitar, I was I was always fascinated with. You know how guys played it and hold it. Yeah, it was just something about that that I gravitated towards. Absolutely. Who are the earlier influences for you? The one that stood out the most. Um, obviously, Hendrix was one. Um, who who was the big one for you that really, really, really drove you to to getting to where you are today? Well, my well my uh, well my introduction to the blues, um, you know, coming from Clarksdale, Mississippi, uh, was definitely a uh, was definitely muddy. You know, uh, you know my you know you know my dad introduced me to muddy. And then um, I would say some of the local heroes before I even learned how to play. I was into those guys, like the guys that I lived right next to, um, uh, guys like Dr. Mike and Big Jack Johnson and uh, Anthony Sherrod, uh, guys in the uh, um, guys in the local scene. But then uh, when I started to learn, um, I started to get into guys like Robert Johnson, Son House, uh, my personal, my big personal favorite, Lightning Hopkins. Then it would go into the, you know, uh, you know, uh, go into the electric guys like Otis Rush and BB and Freddie Abbott, uh, Abbott Collins, you know, uh, Johnny Copeland, a whole lot of people, you know. Right. For sure. Now, 
was the family super supportive with with the whole music thing? Were that were they all? Was it a collaborative effort? Or was it a collaborative? Um, uh, what is it? Support system? Were they all there from you from day one? Uh, I, I'll be honest. I think I think on my mom's side they were they they was egging it on because they um they saw that uh that. I was I was doing something that they was doing, and I was like one of the great kids that actually had interest. I think some of them was kind of apprehensive about the blues thing, you know. You know, you know, I got their blues in church, you know, everybody a little bit, you know, they're right. not too fun of that. I think some of them was kind of on the edge about that. Um, on my on my dad's side, they they uh, they didn't. Re- I don't I don't think most of them took it serious, <laughs> you know, you know, you know, because you know you had some family members who you know wanted me to do sports and stuff like that right. instead of me. You know, but I think I think everybody kind of see now that hey, you know, this is what I need to be doing. You know, right for sure, absolutely. Now, when I was talking to Hambridge last month, um, someone you know all too well, he kind of yeah, touched yeah, on yeah. this incredible record and how it came to be. Uh, I guess Buddy, I guess was playing a show. What was on the West Coast? It sounded like, and you were playing at the same venue. Whatever happened, you guys crossed paths. I think Quinn Sullivan was playing, and yeah. What, how well, did that day change your life? And walk us through that moment. Was, um, it was my first year uh, playing the Waterfront uh, Blues Festival in Portland, Oregon. And, uh, you know, everybody was, you know, talking about me not having a record out and stuff like that. And uh, Mr. Guy was headlining. And uh, my godfather, uh, Tony T.C. Coleman, who played drums for uh, Bobby Hoobland, Otis Clay, B.B. King, um, he got he he hooked it up where uh, I could sit in. I had already met Buddy a few years prior because I I had opened for him in uh, Virginia, but of course he didn't remember me from that right. time. Uh, and so I met him. I got a chance to jam, and that was cool. And then I seen him a few months afterwards in Memphis at the at the Experience Hendrix mm. uh, show. And uh, shortly after that, we get this call from Tony saying, you know, hey, buddy wants to, you know, work with you and, you know, help, you know, and help finance your first album. And uh, he wants you to work with Tom. And we met with Tom at Dana Point, California, did a writing session and recorded the album in November 2017. And that's how everything came to fruition. Wow. I mean, having that opportunity, though, with with someone like Tom Ambridge, I mean, we know he's this is not something new. He's done this with Quinn Sullivan. Right. With Buddy. And Buddy's been known to helping the younger ones, which is yeah. awesome. Because he's scared beyond belief. You know, once him and Bobby Rush go in that generation, it's up to us to keep the music alive. Yeah, exactly. exactly. When you found out that Tom wanted to, to help you with this and Buddy wanted to help you with this, what's going through your mind when you get there on the studio on day one? Is it right? Was it hard oh, for man, you to stay grounded and kind of be calm? Oh man, I, I I was calm because I I just you know I you know because I because I knew how to conduct myself, but at the same time like I was I was a mess man because you know like man this is the first time I'm going into the studio where I'm cutting something for me and you know I'm I'm like man I'm have to be perfect you know and I was I was kind of a mess because I thought my voice was off and everything, but at the same time you know uh Mo came and uh, he played on a few songs in the session so. At the same time, I was happy that I had all my, that, you know, that I had my mom, that my manager and, you know, and some more people, I, you know, I consider family there. 
So I had this big support system, so I was able to get through, man. But it definitely, it definitely, it definitely messed my head up a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, when you go there, uh, a songwriting session with Tom sounds like a therapeutic extravaganza. I mean, it is. He is about as good. He's about as good as it gets when it comes to songwriting. I mean, I could talk. You could talk okay. to him for five minutes, and he can have an album. Just off a five minute conversation. Oh, yeah. That's how it is yeah. with him. And there was a song that he talked about. I think it was outside this town that it sounded like maybe you weren't so sure about the song, but he eventually got it out of you and it turned out to be a great song. Were there other songs on that album that he made you feel more comfortable about that maybe you weren't comfortable about from the start? I would, I, I definitely say, uh, Mm, I would definitely I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. Uh, listen, I, I would, I would, I would, I would, I would say listen was one that I was kind of uh, apprehensive about because I didn't really like the way my voice sounded on it in the beginning. But then I liked the way it turned out because uh, when Kev got on it, it actually, uh, it um, it actually complimented nice. And and uh, and um, and 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 that's actually kind of true about outside of this town. Outside of this town, I was comfortable with. Because it was the first song that I was confident about writing. Okay. But at the same time, but like, but like, but like, but like, being pushed to sing it and my voice, yeah, it, yeah, it kind of troubled me a little bit, you know, in the studio. So he definitely pushed that out of me for sure. Absolutely. Now, as soon as that record's done, what what's the process next after that for you? What was it like? Having this, I mean, this 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 album is propelled you. I don't know how you follow this one up. It's like John Mayer and Continuum. It's hard to top this. I mean, album two is going to be. I mean, I'm that's excited. What, see, it's tough, that's right? The scary part, man, because you got to keep going higher and higher and higher. Well, and yeah, it's, it's tough. It's absolutely man, tough. Well, well, um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, my bad. I didn't, I didn't, um, I don't know what the question was. My bad. My no, bad. you're good. I'm just saying, how do you follow something up like this? I mean. Are you Man, working on yeah, stuff right now? I mean, is it hard yeah, to yeah, to compartmentalize? Yeah. Uh, uh, me and Tom for the last like two three weeks we've been doing writing sessions. We just had one this Wednesday. Awesome. Now that I got I got uh, we actually have enough songs now written for a whole new record. So All done? Uh, All yeah, the songs? yeah, wow. yeah, that uh, that and uh, we got some songs left. Like uh, if we want to bought them, so if everything is goes right, you know, um, you know, um, if everything goes right. We uh should be recording like sometime this fall. Oh my so, gosh, yeah. that's incredible! Well, hopefully, hopefully that happens. And you know, honestly, hopefully, once this this horrible virus passes over, I, I oh, feel definitely. so bad because honestly, I missed out on you seeing you at Legends in twenty. I had the pass right here. When was it? I think it was twenty nineteen. You were there. I think you're there yeah, 2019 yeah. in this past and then January I missed you. But next time you're there, I'm going to have to check it out because, I mean, you've you've really I don't think you've been able to maybe lock into the magnitude of what you are doing and what you're creating as far as um, music goes. Have you been able to really figure out like, wow, like I'm doing man, this? It's funny. It, it, it's funny. Man. You're not the first person to say that. There's a lot of people who, who told me that uh, it's. You know, it's, I'll be honest. It's not something I really think about. I kind of, I kind of just, I kind of just, I, t- I kind of just wing it. I kind of just look at it as a, you know, every time I get on stage, I kind of think of it as a conversation between me and God, you know, right. like that, you know. So I, I, you know, that's what it is. <laughs> Absolutely. So the the funny thing is this: so you got your your big hit album. Five years 
before that, or this, when you were 15 years old, you also had a, a rather big moment playing in the White House for one of the best first ladies, if not the best, Michelle Obama. Yeah. How big yeah, of a trip was that? Man, that was a that was a great experience. What happened was um, when I was in the Delta Blues Museum, uh, me and like five other four or five other boys uh, traveled to D.C. to uh, pick up this award that all these other art arts and education programs, um, you know, were getting. Mm-hmm. And with me being the longest one in the class, they let me be the um, I think I think spokesperson for the class, and I got wow. a chance to meet her. Well, we all got a chance to meet her. I got a chance to like hug her and take a picture with her. It was an awesome moment, man. And being in the White House, man, is just weird, man. The place is huge, you know. So, right. yeah, it was an awesome experience. That's incredible. Now, did you ever? I mean, I just don't. I mean, 15 years old, you're in there. Not only are you in there, but you're in there at the same time that we have history being made. Is the first African American president, one of the best two of my lifetime. At 15. At that time, still, you weren't. Were you ever able to process that moment, or did it? Did you just finally come to the realization of, wow, that actually happened, you know, not too long ago? Because at fifteen, Man, I wouldn't see I, anything I, of I, it. I would just be like, oh, it's just another day. But that's a big moment. Man, I forgot about it. I, I was <laughs> going through some. I, I was going through some old pictures of then, and then I found the picture that was sent from uh that was sent from her and she signed it and everything and i was like oh man i forgot about this <laughs> you know so you know, every now and then i have to remind myself and be like oh man you know and it, it's it's i don't think it still has this in you know yeah. well that's good because i know that that kind of says a lot about who you are because you're not thinking about moments like that you're not you're not i, I feel like there's a little bit of narcissism when it comes to praising yourself every single day it's good to do yeah, but yeah if, if you just don't i mean you're just about as humble as it come now yeah absolutely man so you got that and then where i found you now this is kind of interesting i kind of heard about you when you were on the steve harvey show and that was before i really dove in into uh really dedicating myself to the blues i found you on there before i found you through the blues which is really it's a weird story oh, thank you, man. yeah it, well it was it was uh it was strange so i was watching it one day and i and i watched the whole thing i'm like wow this is this is great i wish the kid nothing but the best this is awesome me and you are close in age too i just turned 24 you're 21 but then oh, i found no, out no, about no. you from Buddy Guy's Legends, my buddy Pat Quinn, he does the Buddy Guy Radio, and he was the one who hooked me oh, yeah, on to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, it, it was just kind of funny. How did that moment happen for you with Steve Harvey? Well, 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 what happened was um, before he had moved the show out to L.A., everybody who was on his Chicago staff, we had a friend who who was on the staff and um, got us on there. Wow! And I wasn't on there all for the music thing. I was no, on there I know. for my. Uh, uh, you know, my waiting thing, mm-hmm. and what 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 happened with that was it actually worked. Um, his his goal was was like a hundred pounds for me, but I ended up losing like like my personal was like uh fifty, and I ended up losing forty five pounds. Wow! But then I had a setback, and then when my mom got sick last year, I kind of I kind of got back on it, and now I'm like a hundred pounds now on my own. But yeah, but that but uh that pretty much uh that pretty much uh what uh what that was about. Yeah. Now, did you do you ever get comments about the the weight still? Because I know there was a lot of people who people are cruel, man. The internet's horrible. Oh, yeah, the internet yeah. is horrible. I mean, yeah, I'm yeah. reading stuff and I go, man, 
I just pray for these people. Has that ever put you in a dark spot where you ever beat yourself up over comments? Or were you able to, to kind of drive right through that? Man, when uh, the first couple of years, I, it tore me up. You know, you know, they're saying, you know, because you're right, man. People are cruel, man. People mm-hmm. have no filter. That's the thing. And, you know, but the more that I got older and then I started working on myself and I started losing weight and, and people like fans were getting to notice it. And then if you go look at other comments on, on like, on like, on like some new videos, people be like, oh, man, he's lost weight. So now at a time, if I see it coming, I might get open arms for like maybe five minutes. You know, it wasn't, I just scroll right past it. You know, it just, you know, it's, you know, in the, you know, in the, in the, in the business of, you know, what we're in, you know, it, it's going to happen. You Absolutely. Know? So like, you know, like even if I wasn't, you know, overweight, you know, they still would find something else, you know? So, you know, you just got to keep, got to, got to roll with it and just try to, just try to block it out, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Now, when it comes to playing live, what, what was it like for you at the beginning? Was it a sense of, did you feel there was more pressure on you being the age that you were playing in blues clubs because people are going, hey, what does this young kid know about the blues? Or did you feel there was a higher expectation because you're playing in a blues club and you're young and people are expecting more out of you? Was the pressure high or low for you? Uh, it was actually it was actually both. You know, you had some people who, you know, questioned, oh, man, that ain't nothing but a gimmick, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you know, you know why, why you had some people who's like, hey, man, you know, you know, I see potential and, you know, go home, study this, go mm-hmm. study that. So yeah, it was a pretty much it was pretty much both because I can tell you sometimes, dude, we will be leaving sound check and there will be like a crowd outside for the show and they will see me. Wow. And you had that one person be like, man, you too young to know about blue. Man, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, uh, I think I'm, you know, uh, how, uh, how you put it? He said, um, he said, he said, I'm thinking uh, he's. He, he he said, "I think I'm wasting my money by coming to see you." I'm like, "Dude, nah, it ain't, no. it ain't, it ain't nothing like that, man." You know, so yeah, I man, I I kind of get both, you know. Absolutely. Now, with with everything going on in this in this pandemic, which is which is atrociously, it's it's hard to watch people being you know lives being taken away. But how have you been able to to cope with with this situation? I mean, being alive musician like blues musician specifically and the reason why i put an emphasis on the blues because i feel like people forget about the genre now when it comes to um certain things i feel like people look over it how have you been able to to deal with this pandemic doing really no live shows no nothing i mean your life has changed yeah just just uh just i tried to stay sane you know just uh, trying to make, you know, uh, trying to make end meet, you know, I was, I was blessed to, you know, have money saved up from the first two I did and the second two I did when they cut our shows off. But then, you know, when stuff, t- you know, when stuff started doing the down, you start counting on sessions and, you know, live streams and, you know, and, you know, and other sources of income. So, you know, I, it's, like I said, it's kind of been, it's kind of been bittersweet for me. I, I, the, in the, in the beginning, the downtime was cool. But then, like around the third month, we're like, man, I want to get on the road, man. I want to play some music, you know. So yeah, right. And there's one thing I really have to ask. Obviously, I'm sure I I would hope you know, but there was a funny thing. It was David Lee Roth was opening for Kiss on these string of shows last summer, and I came across this video on TMZ, and they said all it said was DLR sings blues opening for Kiss. I go, sounds interesting, and he was singing Fresh Out. 
How the hell did yeah, that happen? When did you get notified <laughs> about that? I mean, that's a, that's crazy. You got David Lee Roth opening for Kiss, covering your song. It's, it's it's funny. Like I didn't find out until like a fan had sent me the video. He was like, "Dude, he was like, dude, uh, David Lee Roth did fresh out, and we listened to it. We was on the road, and it was like, man, I, I like how, I like how he remixed it, and it was though I, I I loved it. It was cool." You know, and that's the funny thing, because that goes back to the whole being able to lock into the magnitude of what you're creating, because there's the way you, you're describing what's happening is the same way my hero described what was happening to him, Kenny Wayne Shepard. He was still oh, in high man. school when his first album came out. And, you know, in high school, people all, back then it's all BS when you tell them, hey, I'm opening for the Eagles at the O2 Arena in London. People are like, yeah, whatever. And then he comes back and he's opening for B.B. King. Yeah, whatever. But he never was able to understand what he was doing. And that's the same thing that you've been telling me. And I, I think that says a lot about the person and musician that you are. I mean, there's there's nothing better than that, having someone as humble and level-headed as you. That's uh, important. Now, you up on a stage, and Buddy Guy joins you on a stage. What are those moments like when you get to share a stage with Buddy? Man, unreal, because... He was like one of the first wild blues players yeah. that I was into, man. Mm-hmm. Like he was one of the he was one of the influences that I got, you know, uh walking out into the crowd and playing. It was is is you know, it's is I, I can't really describe it because it's just the feeling that just just nothing but happiness. I don't think no negative moment when I'm on stage with Mr. Guy and when he comes up, it's just, you know, just it's, I have that sense of man, this is, you know, this is what I've been wanting, you know, it's here, you know, like that. As far as future work goes for albums, what is, what can people expect off of the next Kingfish record as far as concept goes? Well, um, for me, the aim for the blues has always been to, to, you know, try to get more young people involved and get more young people to know. So I will, I will, I will be honest and say, you know, there are some avenues that I might take, you know, to mix the blues and, you know, to appeal more to the young crowd, but it's still going to be raw as ever. Uh, I want to do some things in the future, not on the second record for sure, but I want to do some things in the future, uh, make some blues with hip hop because hip hop is the blues, you know, grandchild, you know, so I want to, I want to do, well, um, great grandchild. So I want to do, I want to do things like that in the future for sure. Absolutely, and you're already seeing guys start to do some stuff like that, like Gary Clark Jr. Oh, yeah, I mean, his recent album starts out with a not a blues song, and it's a very emotionally invoked song, and it's a perfect song to be played on repeat during this time that we're going yeah, through right most now. Definitely, most Everything definitely. is nothing but truth in that song, this line. Super heavy. Nothing but truth. Yeah, anyone who denies it, shame on you. Right. But um, the future of music, for me, is always an interesting subject. I'm touchy feely with this is in uh, regards to the blues. Where do you think the blues will be in the next five years and they um, in kind of the mainstream music? I mean, it's already not in the mainstream music. It's overlooked in my eyes. But w- what do you think the future of the blues looks like and how important is it for the young guys to really keep this going? For me, the future of the blues, I think the future of blues um, blues bright. There are a whole, like, heap of young guys and, you know, older guys as well that, you know, that, you know, that's keeping this flame alive because I've always felt like um, that the blues is always going to be around because typically, you know, you know, because it's the roots, you know, and those right. roots are always going to be there. And, you know, so as long as we got, you know, the guys like Mike Will and Toronto Cannon 
and you know, guys like Dontavious Williams and Marquise Knox and you know um, and Sean McDonald and Jamiah Rogers. I think I think I think it's gonna be around for ages and ages to come. And in five years, more kids will come out. More you know more black kids will come out and embrace it. I think I think it'll. I think I think I think that'll be a more. I think that will be a more revolution in in. In young blues and black uprising in the, in the future for sure. Absolutely. Now, your take on the the way music is made. I've seen a lot of you know top forties number one hits being you know generated and made by a couple keystrokes on a keyboard. Then you have people out there who are using instruments, you know, putting in that time and you yeah. know effort, learning an instrument. Uh, does that ever drive you crazy knowing that? Some kid in a bedroom could hit two keys, not underestimating that because that's still craft and artistry, certainly. But knowing that it's it's being done, anyone could do it from a computer. I feel like less and less instruments are being played now. Uh, well, I, I would say this, you know, whatever folks their boat, you know, more power to them. But at the same time, right. you know, that I feel like there's always been like a sense of the main crowd not wanting too technical of too complex of music to you know you know in order to grasp it so i think mm-hmm. so i think people who won't I, I i think i think people who are at the elite level you know in mainstream music i think they just they just serve what people can grasp you know and that's you know that's the simple you know you know right for sure now i see uh you got a bb king were you ever able to meet him and play with him man i never played with him matter of fact he he passed away when i started to gain some gain some notoriety like mm. uh i met him like one time when i was in seventh grade the school band wow. i was in we opened up his homecoming show and we got a chance wow. to go on his uh tour bus meet him shake his hand and it was an awesome experience man i never never will forget that one would would you say that that was one of the most defining moments for you as a young blues musician or aspiring blues guitarist? Most definitely, because to meet the meet the king of the blues, you know, and being a young being a young black male from Mississippi Delta is is I think it was imperative, you know, you know, per se, for me to meet him because as I wouldn't say it's it's not like no passing of the torch type of thing, right? But but it's like a you know a, you know a, you know a youngin who's on his way trying to trying to trying to be something and then meet a guy who's you know almost at the end but who's reigned tremendously as the king is all is 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 it's a great thing, you know, it's it's something that had to happen, you know. Now who are the top five or who are some of the top five young blues musicians out there that everyone listening should should know about if they don't know already? This is a platform to spread the blues, keep the music alive. Let us know who's out there that we should be uh, talking about too. Man, uh, okay, well, um, of course, uh, I totally know my guy, uh, John Tavis Wills out of Georgia. Right. Uh, it's a young man also out of Georgia by the name of Sean McDonald. Um, Marquise Knox out of St. Louis. Uh, it's a guy. Uh, it's uh, it's a friend of mine that you guys have then um, uh, in Chicago, Jamiah Rogers, um, and um, Jerron Paxson. Uh, another. Uh, um, I think it's another young cat named me and John Tavis. Uh, uh, what John Tavis told me about, um, told me about by the name of Charles Robinson, harmonica player. Andre, I mean, uh, Andrew Ali, harmonica player. There's so many people. I know I'm, I, I, uh, uh, I think I named more than five, but it was my bad, man. <laughs> no, good stuff, good stuff. Well, when you look at everything you've accomplished so far, I mean, you're, you're young as hell, man, and it's incredible what you're doing. 
has there been a moment or two, uh, a couple moments, or maybe even just one moment that's really molded you into the person and musician that you are today? And what was that moment? Man, I would say I would say the time sitting down, sitting down and talking to Buddy before he went and played while I was on tour with him because talking to him. I gained like so much wisdom and knowledge from him. And I, and I know that sounds cliche, but it's the truth, man, because the things that he would tell me, you know, about his staff of music and the blues at the moment is it is it was such eye opening info that I think it, you know, I think it applies to the way I do music and, you know, and, you know, and it applies to, you know, how, you know, how, you know, how good of a person I could be as well. Right. Absolutely. Well, listen, man. I I can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your day uh, to talk to me. So I appreciate it so much, Chris. No problem. Thank you. No problem. Thank you for the opportunity, man. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Well, 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 I hope everyone enjoyed that interview. I know I did. That was such a blast. So blessed. So thankful for Kingfish for coming on and giving me his time. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Like I said in my intro, be sure to support Kingfish. Visit his website. He has merch up there as well. Don't forget to subscribe to our show. Follow us on Spotify and iHeartRadio. Be sure to visit our website, themondaymorningblues.com. And don't forget, we have a, a, a store. We have a Monday Morning Blues official online store. You can go there and buy some merch, some swag. We also got some stickers up there now for you to purchase. Uh, I think it's like $5 and you get three. So support the show. Support the blues. We'll see you next time with a special episode on Independence Day with the man himself, Jose Ramirez. And a couple days after that, on Monday, July 6th, we have Robert Conley Farr. Stay safe, and remember to keep the blues alive and well.